right, hey everybody, welcome to uh, Kickers of Elves on Lynch. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> My name's Wade Bowen. Uh, with me is James Nolan. Hey guys, how's it going? A- and Hugh Crawford. Hey, hello. Hello. And uh, yeah, we've been going through all these, and now we're going through the next one. And and Dick and Dick oh boy, we're is talking. Dead. This week we're talking about Lost Highway from 1997. Uh, here is the IMDb description. Anonymous videotapes presage a musician's murder conviction and a gangster's girlfriend leads a mechanic astray. Director David Lynch. Writers David Lynch and Barry Guilford. Starring Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, and, and Patricia. you know, full cast and crew. <laughs> um, yep, this is pretty much, this is a humdinger. I think it? so too, yeah. It's something. She yeah. <laughs> what What do you mean? It's something. Did you do you do you not like like just like on the on a binary scale, Wade? Do you like this movie or do you not like this movie? Wade Bowen is a land of contrast. I don't know. Like, there's like <laughs> my I like this movie on a rational level, and then on other levels, I like I find it the most more tedious than like viscerally enjoyable. I like figuring stuff out but then also like i get like a 90s like porn vibe that like you know what i've enjoyed plenty of, of that stuff too but like it it weirds me out a little bit i get the feeling that like lynch hangs out with young people in la and then when people his own age ask him why he goes i like keeping up with the kids and this is where he was in the nineties. <laughs> this is where the kids yeah. are. <laughs> he he's and for context, larger context, um, he's fifty years old uh-huh. at this point. Yes. In nineteen when when this is when this is made, according to the David Foster Wallace article uh, mm-hmm. written about the making of Lost Highway, he's fifty years old when he makes this, and he looks like the adult version of the kid who gets beat up every day at school. Yes. That's what. That's <laughs> he comments that he keeps coming how how he. The button up all the way to the top is like... Every single button. He's like, every single button. And he goes, I've seen that in interviews. I didn't know that he really... I thought that was like a costume. And I I think David Foster Wallace assumed that if you saw David Lynch, he would turn into Jim Jarmusch and look like, you know, look like the guy who makes the movies he makes and and has that Uh level of sort of artistic sophistication. But like, he doesn't. He never looks cool. Like, he's David Lynch. He's not cool, you know. He's not cool in that way, in that Jim Jarmusch way. But he likes being around people who are. (laughs) Yeah, but he's got a certain coolness to him in that, like, he's got a veneer that, like, the way he does his hair and he's wearing... Yeah, yeah, I think that he's got a look. And everybody that's... Every man that's confident... I mean, that's the point of peacocking, is that I'm confident enough to look like this. (laughs) And... (laughs) Like I look like you know I look like this and I <laughs> this look is a is a symbol of my uh, individuality. individuality. And... <laughs> do you think do you think that David Lynch is employing some of the mystery tactics? <laughs> I, I, I he gets a lot of pussy. That's all I'm saying. No, uh, yeah, I I think that he he intuits that like his look. He knows that he's cut. That's I mean I think he's he's a weird guy. Like I think that that's not a veneer. Uh, yeah, Nobody's arguing. Yeah. And so I think guy. he looks like that because it's calm. It's probably exactly how he looked when he was when he was a little kid, you know? And like he's, he's 
he's got that howdy doody hair. He's got, you know, he wears a normal shirt. He wears like, you know, he dresses like working class shirts and like what, like, like what in like the, like the Soviet era, like the normal looking, just blank fronted shirt. I think he still dresses like the, like painter in the sixties that he thought was the Yeah. Cool he's still got guy. that like, um. It's it's the coffee and cigarettes, yeah. and, and I'm a. Yeah. They call that look the popular popular front. It's like what uh, Woody Guthrie looked like. It was called the popular front look. Um, but like yeah, like a normal dude, and I think that right. like Lynch affects that. But yeah, I I I definitely. Oh, as far as the '90s stuff, I I do think. Uh, I read an article or something that made it reference maybe it was a review that made it reference that or maybe it was the david foster wallace in the thing that made it sound like lynch was in a bad way at this point in his career like yes hmm. yes career the, the the foster wallace article lays out in detail yeah like how he needed this movie to work for mm-hmm. him on every level because yeah. of twin peaks uh season two because of fire walk with me bombing Mm-hmm. Those two things were like a one-two punch. And it had been a while. And so I think that like, I think the Nine Inch Nails uh, and all the Nine Inch Nails stuff, I think putting Marilyn Manson in the movie, like I mm-hmm. think this was, if not things that he was in, he was wanting to do to market the movie to a to a hipper crowd. I think maybe his funders, it was a way, it was some maybe, oh. Him, oh, him and his funders had a meeting, and they came away. Thinking, well, his Let's... money, his money was French. Yes, so I don't right. think that they were this... particularly demanding Marilyn Manson. I think yeah. that that's probably something specifically. I'm glad you brought that up because I think I said in the text that I think this is probably a perfect movie. It's hmm. I I, yeah. I in in. In the sense that everything that is on the screen and all the choices made work like perfectly in concert mm-hmm. to achieve to achieve its own goals. So, right. and I think that having Marilyn Man like if they don't have Marilyn Manson in that scene at the end, then he's having a Bobo Marilyn Manson. <laughs> in <it. laughs> right, but right. instead, he just got the real thing. Okay. So. Right. And I, I, Part of this movie f- for me was like this is the first movie as his that's about L.A. more yeah. than the like he's been in L.A. since Eraserhead, yes. but yes. this is definitely... that was about that yeah. was like set in Pittsburgh in a kind of way, and then you know, uh, Elephant Man obviously is in England, and then uh, you know, uh, Wild at Heart is like North North Carolina and across in Texas, so it like and this one is like this is very of L.A. Mm-hmm. like to the the houses oh, and yeah. just the feel it's of it and getting Marilyn Manson literally and his else. house. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I I took that note. I was like, this is exactly how I expect yeah. David Lynch's house to look. And part of that is watching that mm. Our Life documentary. But like, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. And it is, oh, big yeah. surprise, not surprise at all. But then after this, every movie he's made is in a sense about well, he's made- L.A. I, I think they call it. Well, yeah, that's true. They take straight story. Well, yeah, that, that's an yeah. outlier. Um, but I haven't watched. I think it yet, that but. they talk about this being the L.A. trilogy, right? That it's Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and Inland Empire are all set in L.A. Sure. And set right, but it's a trilogy over like twenty-five years to make the. No, it's only ten. 
And then the straight what, stories, really? stories in the middle At of it. At what degree do we think that Barry Guilford's writing has a direct impact on what we've seen on the screen? Like, almost, I, I have not been able to nothing. suss that out. Yeah. I, I, okay, think that I think he, we should bring that up in the sense that when we talk about, because you know, on this podcast, we've talked about his collaborators. Yeah. And what that, like, how that pops up and how that figures into things. So before we get too into the weeds, if you guys know anything about what Barry Guilford is bringing to the table here, they, I would like... He know. said um, he said they met together to write the movie together. And um, and I don't, I can't ever tell, because Lynch isn't like a... He's not a nasty guy. He's not going to say a lot of mean shit. And so I get the feeling that maybe they, they were... So I don't know if he was personally aching to work with him or not, but he said that once they got together, he said, we hated each other's ideas. And he goes, but I got obsessed with this phrase that he had in one of his books. Uh, the phrase was Lost Highway, but it's not a Barry Gifford phrase. I think it's actually a, isn't that like a Hank Williams song? Or something? I was about to say, it's probably, it sounds like yeah, it's from a song. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think it's like a, a phrase that's been existed before. But he says he got it. I mean, he, he the idea was there. And then, he, saw the, he saw it in the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He saw the concept and that took him on, you know, to his mind palace or whatever. And I right. I think like, that, I do think Barry Gifford wrote the movie, but I think at some point, once the, I don't know. Like, I, because the other thing I know is that on three stories he tells on Catching the, in, if you read Catching the Big Fish, there's sort of three stories he tells, one of which is that um, they had built that house in the sand in the desert and yeah. the the exploding it was a on-site decision and huh. he was like how much would it take to blow this up <laughs> like and um and so that was the, between him and his pyrotechnics crew and huh. um, that figures in hugely into the like the last act yes. of, of the mm. film so right so, like that, I did no research for this movie. I just watched mm-hmm. it. And then this is the David Lynch out of all of them so far that I feel like I have to fucking read a book to figure, to really wrap my head about if I want to try to understand it. Whereas I, I read that David Foster Wallace article about this one a long time ago, but mm-hmm. I just remember it talking about that Lynch versus uh, Matthew Barney and the just not trying to understand it being almost the point. I was like, well, okay, that's one way to go through, but to try to rationalize how it what the movie's saying is I mean, like I, a whole other like I know like I said that we like these movies of, are all sort of mirrors but I, I think I understand it to some degree I think I do too uh, but <laughs> yeah I think I do but like the fact that I have to question like yeah. well did I get it did I read the right do I need to read this Zizek paper see that's the thing is I don't I, like, I, I, I yeah I, I we'll, we'll get to that in a second but I will say that's the other story that he says is he goes, I didn't realize until after I made the movie that the movie's about OJ. Yes. And right. uh, and that the I do see. Jazz player. OJ. <laughs> <Yes. O-J. laughs> right. Did he realize that before or after one of his actors? Oh my god. Yeah, he, that's the oh, weirdest man. thing about this fucking movie is Robert Blake. <laughs> right. Is, uh, two murderers, two convicted murderers, Robert Blake and one of the cops. Who they know was a Whoa. gangster. <laughs> Who's like who was a, like a Whoa. reformed gangster, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so David went into this with knowledge of that. One, uh, I, yeah, I think so. Or maybe they came. I don't know, but yes. Um, they're also in 
Mahalan's Drive, and, and they're solving a crime at that exact bend in the road that Robert Loggia beat the huh. shit out of that dude, which is Mahalan huh. Drive. So, like, that's how interconnected this shit is. So, or just that's how, like, yeah, yeah. But, um, and the third story that he says is that he started, he got the idea for the movie, and I don't, none of this has anything to do with Barry Gifford. This is my point. Yeah. Is that right. he says, I got the idea for the movie when I got up one morning and a guy came to my intercom and said, Dick Laurent is dead and walked away. <laughs> so that. <laughs> so, which is the first line in the movie and it's exactly what happens in the first in the movie. And the last. And the last line in the movie. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, I think that. Uh, that I think were were the main sort of starting places. So I don't, I don't know what Barry Gifford did there. You know, right? I'm sure somebody knows right. definitively, but I, I I don't. I think sometimes the the dialogue really pops when it's the gangster stuff. Yeah, and it, it might have. And and Barry mm-hmm. Gifford probably I would imagine probably gave that a lot of rhythm in life. I can see that Barry because he's a crime. You know, he's a yeah. he he, he's a, he right. works within genre. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of the stilted, mundane, domestic scenes at the beginning, I felt mm-hmm. like that was heavily Lynchian, almost like a yeah. racer head. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so oh, yeah, for sure. For I, sure. I think like... that's probably. Are you? Are you? I'm trying to guess where you're going here. You're leading that that maybe Lynch was the dominant force in the Bill Pullman sections, but the that but the I almost called him Giovanni Ribisi, but he was in the fucking movie. But right. <laughs> The Balthazar Getty, <laughs> right. who uh, that those sections have more Barry. Bobo Gifford. Charlie Sheen, yes, yeah, Bobo Charlie. Oh my yeah, God, yeah, does yeah, he look totally. like Charlie Sheen? So right, I that's that's the kind of sense yeah. I got. It's exactly yeah. what you just said. It's like maybe that's. So I haven't seen Balthazar Getty in anything else ever except Twin Peaks season three. <laughs> yeah, so that's oh. all I've ever seen him in. So Lynch likes working with him. Obviously, he gets well. Yeah, so I. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, we, we talked about the Zeke uh, paper a little bit G-J. in text, and I'm I am not gonna get oh, yeah. I'm not gonna get into the weeds about all that. I do suggest if you're interested in that, go read it. it mm-hmm. We could almost do a different podcast on that paper alone. Yes. It gets it gets into Saving Private Ryan. It gets into Schindler's okay. List. It gets into as, as good as it gets. It gets into like Robert <laughs> Roberto Bellini's Life is Beautiful. Oh, really? And, it, and it pits all four of those movies against Lost Highway. So, <laughs> so, so let's it, look at fantasy in life. <laughs> life is beautiful. <laughs> so, Lacanskis <laughs> and yeah. so, okay, the, um, so yeah. One thing that it did have value that's in a non-Lacanian mm-hmm. way. Is it yeah. examined the traditional view of the femme fatale, mm-hmm. which she is a woman with agency who is punished by the patriarchy at the end of in a classic noir films. Okay, mm. then you have got the new, then you got the neo noir femme fatale, who is, um, who like tells you her intentions to your face, but like, and she tells you that her intentions are bad. But you're so taken with her that you don't believe her, and then at the end of the movie, you're stuck, like left holding the bag because you should have been listening to what you knew was true all along. That's new, and mm-hmm. he lauds Lost Highway 
for having a femme fatale that is neither and or possibly both. has two femme fatales that are one and mm-hmm. or that are both like Renee's mm-hmm. the old style. So like he never even settles on he never even settles on he he just wants to laud Lynch. But that's mm-hmm. he got me thinking about a, a broader question, which is has come up in this podcast before, and I want you guys to kick around this. I think I think we need to examine once again the question of David Lynch's misogyny. Oh yeah, because Patricia Arquette's characters are neither. They're not characters. No, they're okay. They're they're arc archetypes to mm-hmm. the nth degree, and they're objects. Mm-hmm. They're clearly objects of desire. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and, I gotta... and rejection to some degree, and rejection. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. They both. Yeah. Re- I I'll, I I totally agree with that reading, and I think this is. I think that this is. Let's. Again, I just want to play. I think that this is his most movie about masochism. Um, and what makes it problematic versus brave or interesting would be how, how, what is Lynch's reason for approaching this and constantly dwelling on it? And is he mining through stuff? And I think he is. So, like, that would be sort of my initial stake on that. But how I read the movie. Um, is that it's about, um, and obviously you want to make it him because he lives in his fucking house. <laughs> like, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> Just the way that, and the house to me, like the way that like Coen brothers were like in, in Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink, like, let's make this room look like the inside of this guy's yeah. Mind, brain. And yeah, that's like this, this is David Lynch's interior mm-hmm. of his brain is the room that he lives in. Same way that that was kind of you could do the same thing with Eraserhead, and that room is very similar to the fucking room in Eraserhead for me. Yeah, yeah. rooms I mean, are like, rooms are definitely characters. Oh in, my god, yeah, more than yeah, yeah. Oh, almost yeah. more than the characters that inhabit. Yeah, them. more than yeah. But the reading that I I have on the movie is that he he's with a woman who can't who isn't satisfied by him for what he he suspects or he fears or or whatever that he is not satisfied mm-hmm, by him. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that it entails feels of losing her to her old life or her old boyfriend who was exciting. And there's this long, uncomfortable sex scene where she pats him on the fucking back when he can't make her come. And she goes, it's all right. I think is what she says. It's all right. Like, fucking A. Like, that's really, like, emasculating. And so when he goes, like, I think that Lynch is saying this is the type of men who murder women in rages. Um... And then he explore like I think that it's about how a man can like the fantasy the Balthazar Getty stuff is a fantasy that he's sort of retreating to to sort of uh, like re-justify it and make himself a hero or cooler. And so he's like, yeah, he's like a cool guy and he, okay. but he's kind of like got a heart of gold. So he's a little bit innocent. He's not a bad guy, but it's enough to get the hot girl. And so like he's creating a fantasy like and you sort of see where when reality didn't meet that fan, you know, it all kind of goes 
But yeah, it all cratered, but it all sort of sucked, uh, like sort of focused around his intense insecurity about sexual inadequacy, or at least not, maybe not like, like, maybe not the act of sex, but the interpersonal, right, the but, intersexual relationships. Uh, right. And the security yeah. with his partner or whatnot. And yeah. so like, so, I mean, I think what's at the core is, especially since he said the movie's about OJ, uh, like what made this man kill this person and how did they justify that to them, to their sense of self. And I think this is a attempt to do that. And, and all that sort of stuff reaches ahead at the end. So I do think into some degree, he's, he's dealing with the fantasies that we construct around our inadequacies. And he does it weirdly by separating them where you have a part that's just a character who's completely consumed with inadequacy because it's really all he gets. I mean, even the fear of the Bill yeah, Pullman? yeah, even okay. the fear of something yeah. coming into his house and all of that stuff. Oh my God, that stuff's just creepy as shit. But uh, all the oh, Robert yeah. Blake stuff. But uh, that worked. The that the home intrusion stuff oh. and the that worked so well in the was, in the. I mean, that was one of the. There's a couple of things that I think are truly like. If we're going to talk about like what Lynch really wants is to hit you with a moment, like an image. And like, oh, that whole sequence with Robert Blake, <laughs> the first one, that's like the creep. That's like the creepiest ass. That's one of the creepiest You're scenes about in a the horror party movie. Scene? Yeah. Call, like you, we, we've met each other <laughs> Or before. when Robert Blake's face is on uh, Patricia <laughs> Arquette, the bed. When he's oh, yeah. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. What do you mean you're where right now? At your house. That's fucking crazy, man. Call me. And I mean, I think, I think that, I mean, I think that obviously Robert Blake's character is not a real person. I don't. I don't know what He's is. Yeah, I don't know man, what right? is a real yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, I don't. This. I don't know. I mean, it's a certain a bit of magical realism, you know, mm -hmm. right? And then yeah. Then at Robert the end, Blake it's said like that he was the, the devil, end. but I I read him more as the death as death. He's... Right, and then it, it does a little time loop by the end of it. And so I mean, yeah, it does well, that's because he's that's my re my reading was was is that he. Um, He's been he's told the secret and like then he becomes a force of nature like he experienced. And, mm -hmm. and now he's got he's got like a power over time and space because he's death. Ah, you think Bill Pullman's okay. death after killing Bill, Bill Pullman transforms into into the mystery man. Like he he's like it's like how the mystery <laughs> man like, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Like reproduces. Too. I mean, 
by the end of it, when they're both next to each other by the car, they're base they're like, and they they kill mm-hmm. Robert right. Loja. They both like shoot. On yeah, the same they side. both shoot. Well, yeah. somebody yeah. was going to somebody was going to like there was somebody was going to get their ticket punched, and mm-hmm. the mystery man really didn't care. Like he was going, the mystery man didn't care who which one. It could have easily have gone Robert Loja and the in the mystery man. But yeah. since, I mean, if the story wasn't about what James had said, it could have been Robert Loja. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I that you're you're, you're probably pretty you're probably pretty fair in what you're like. I think I'm not gonna dispute what you're gonna what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I think because obviously that, it's pretty it's pretty. I mean, there's it, there's enough to go down these these alleyways and then yeah, and then there's like there's not everybody. To... No, my interpretation's <laughs> the right one. You're right. wrong. <laughs> Fuck off. It's, I, I don't. Do I think this. it was. So I think what it is is a part of it is, and this kind of gets into the Zeke stuff that I I liked, but had tapped. He kind of gives a like a, a whole lexicon to deal with these ideas, mm-hmm. and I guess that's really what psychoanalysis is. It just it's just like a set of semantics to deal with, like to give you a framework to talk about these things. Yeah. But so it's about two characters that and neither it's like it's a way to get two stories mm-hmm. the the splitting of personalities or like the transmorphic like that calvin and hobbs transmorphic fire or whatever he calls it like he, <laughs> yeah. he goes in the car, cardboard like that's what happens in the she also it's it's a framework for like a storytelling vehicle for uh-huh. me personally like i think it's a storytelling mm-hmm. vehicle more than anything mm-hmm. and it's a way to tell two stories about two people who can't face what is real and yeah they can't and so and how that like literally transforms them um hmm i mean i mean literally transform like there's a transformation in the middle of it and and like the fallout from that but uh right i wonder I mean, I think because I mean, I saw it as kind of a person stuck in their own kind of personal hell. But you know, by the time he kills his wife, but by the end of it, his wife is still well. Alive like the Balthazar Zed, 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 Balthazar Getty. This is such a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's, his that's a bullshit name. Goddamn <laughs> He knows. He knows that the woman is bad. Like he can't face what is real, even though he sees it. He still mm-hmm. can't like deal with the truth of it. Like he's in the house and he's watching this big projection, and he knows what this woman is like that he's attached to is like been going through. Oh yeah, and then she slowly reveals her own nature to him in a, in a series of vignettes. Like whenever the guy's dead, and she's like, "No, you kill, you right. killed him." And then she, and then he has to like reconcile with being with with like, "Oh, maybe she's not who I thought," and then. They kept on having these opportunities for him to face what is real, and he still doesn't do it. Yeah, throughout the whole throughout right. that whole last act, and that's that was what was amazing to me is that like the truth the truth of of everything was facing him was like right in the face. The truth was, and he still mm-hmm. and he couldn't like comprehend it, and that's why that punt that right. sucker punch of a line that she did. Okay, I think that Patricia Arquette like gave the performance of like the decade. To me, to yeah, me, I think she's real great in this, and I think that she 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 sort of proves herself as the perfect Lynch. Um, I think she's well cast. I think she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think no. I think that her choice. She's. I. I think she's 
what uh, I would call the LCD sound system of acting in in this. <laughs> <laughs> it's what does that mean? You go on for she, a while. You do nothing for yes, a while. <laughs> she's doing yes. She's doing nothing for a uh-huh. long while. So when that finally for when the beat finally drops, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's extra. It yeah, hits yeah. You extra hard. She does yeah. something with her. <laughs> That's fair. She does something. She she makes these deliberate choices throughout the the film, and she slowly builds to a crescendo. Even mm. though she's not playing a character, like to do that while not playing a character is <laughs> yeah, amazing. She's kind of like a cipher. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to to be able to do to make these choices to yeah. build something out of something that literally does not exist is amazing because at the end. Her voice literally changes when she says, you'll never have me. It's no longer that inaudible baby doll voice. It's like, mm-hmm. right. Sol- it's like a solid, it's, you know, almost like, like she's being possessed by something like a, something else. Mm-hmm. But it's all, it's all, yeah, right. it's all the actress doing all that. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. For me, the whole film was kind of almost like an exploration of like the hills that people put them with their own our shit and whatever and it's not rational the way it fits together mm-hmm. but it's yeah, like that's a good point as a yeah as a like as a uh you know s- psychological picture of what that kind of psychosis is like or whatever these issues that you're dealing with you know infidelity and inferiority with the partner and all this stuff it's kind of like a good just it's an yeah it works. I don't know. Like, so it's an exploration. Yeah. I don't know how. Yeah. That's the thing about the illogic that Lynch uses this. I I guess I want to say illogic because it's not always like nonsense. It's not absurdity. It's not absurdity. No. It's just that there's like, you know, he's going upstairs to get the whatever from Andy's room and he (laughs) was walking down a hotel hallway and there's multiple rooms with numbers and like that, and and he's there and he comes back down and comes back down to where he was. So it's not like that you're you're in some sort of dreamy transition state. Like you there's an illogic to it. It it, right. it, it reminded me the most of Eraserhead of all the movies we've watched. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's slowly you know, he's slowly losing those traditional structures and, and then going into to living in this world more. I almost think that you can probably measure the achievements by how uh, of a Lynch film by how like many like mo- like it like sequences stick to the ribs. Like you have the Robert Blake sequence, which I think is really fun, creepy. And there's the scene with uh, Patricia Arquette and the gun and Robert Loja. And that's just pretty fucking disturbed i mean the, like the nude scene you know that's like a very like that's something i remember i'm gonna mm-hmm. remember seeing that and this like the sex in the desert those sequences are they were hitting me and they were and i and i understood oh, yeah. it in the in the context of whatever journey i was on with the movie and that's when i really like lynch the most is bringing he's not bringing a lot of like i think that we you know when you talk about modern traditional storytelling it's about bringing you know, threads, story threads together to a satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. His is more about moods. Like he literally, I think he thinks in that way is that I need to yeah. resolve this feeling. I don't need to resolve what Dick Lawrence was or what was it, Matt? You know, like I don't need to solve that shit. I just need to solve the feeling, that mood, that dread, right. that, that what was the Robert, like you can't, like if Robert Blake didn't show back up, 
it would have been a failure. But and so you were like, well, there must be right. some sort of rules that you apply to a David Lynch film that's good or bad. But right. Well, there's a thing that he does that there's other experimental filmmakers that will experiment with mood or whatever. Uh-huh. But Lynch, he does that and he gets his images that stick with it. But he he does it in a way with a narrative structure that is like very clear and thought out and precise in a way that a lot of people, yeah, we just throw shit at all over the place to evoke a mood. Yeah. And it's not quite as satisfying in the way that, well, it's somewhere in the middle because you get this huge piece of like the house, like house exploding and then coming back together. Well, if that was a set on set decision, like that's a pretty, so that was, it's extemporaneous. That was improvised to some degree. Right. But I do think that he's not, He's not making these movies he, by feel. He's not like Jackson Pollock yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah. He's a, he's a well-equipped uh, enough artist where he can improvise mm. on within the structure, which is what you know a great artist can do, I guess. Right? Why isn't? I guess that this is a harder question to ask because we're not the general public. But why is this a lesser-regarded Lynch movie? Like, we're going to watch Mulholland Drive next week, which is a very well-received. David Lynch movie probably is best. We'll see. The way that I appreciate and enjoy this movie the most is watching it. But then also, if I weren't able to like talk it out like this, like I feel like yes, I I know exactly I, that that's it's like at, at least half of my enjoyment, if not more. Of yeah, to, you know, yeah. It, it you don't feel like it exacts it, it like it sort of takes its toll otherwise if you don't get to talk about it yeah, yeah. you have because you have to you can't just watch it and say oh, I watched it I got it now no you have to struggle with it you know like and why I could do that by myself for a while but also talking it out is pretty helpful why too. isn't this the I think it's because it is literally it's a it's a movie about the unknowable and nobody yeah. likes to think about uh-huh. that <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it, it it's sort of like what David Foster Wallace said in his in his thing is that like these movies like can make you think about the worst part of yourself and that's like not what you want to go to. to yeah, I mean he's for. a confrontational artist, which is not like what sells. Maybe on. yeah, he is confrontational. I'm not gonna say he's not, but this is this may be his edgiest movie, and. What I'm like, because it's like, you know, it's like a you know, L.A. greasers and L.A. experimental jazz saxophone rich people. And like, there's no. <laughs> Can I say I love the fucking music uh, in, in this uh, movie? The, like, oh. Oh, man, so much. Like, that's the thing of this rewatch. Just I think we said before, just the sound and music choices oh, yeah. that he makes. I I love so much. They just viscerally like, yes, it I was. Like I don't I, I don't like any of this music. Like not I like I don't like any of it. <laughs> It it only served like to fuel my terror, except for the one <laughs> part in the movie where he sees her in the garage and they play the Lou Reed this Lou magic Reed's moment. version this magic moment. I was which yeah. I had never heard that version before, and I hadn't either. Like yeah, yeah the Bowie song at the beginning and the end. I, I don't like, like so that like, Bowie song. I like it, yeah. but like I could see how people could like. I understand its appeal, even though it's not for me. Sure, and sure, it sure. served. Yeah, I yeah. like again. I think it's a perfect movie because it served its. It serves everything it's trying to do so well and perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but this magic moment that was amazing that that was that, and that yeah. is, that's how he thinks it's like the day before the election if if you watch his weather reports he's like i was thinking of a song today called <laughs> the times they are a changing mm. by bob De- and like like he yes. thinks on the nose that's what i that's what i that's what i was going to say he has a very fucking cornball appreciation of society yes. of culture and right. i think that this is the only movie of his where that's the most occluded and i think that that is it's a it's a key ingredient to good lynch cuz he it is too much like i i yeah like this movie's a lot and and yeah. like and i and to be honest with you uh the the, the the fire walk with me was too in a lot of ways and i i think that there's something about like he needs sweetness or corn and that's him i think it's real i don't that's... think it's affect it's real he likes that shit we think it's dumb and we think it's corny but he likes it and it, it it's something for him and when he puts that in the movie, it, it cuts it. It makes it just right. It, like There's enough seediness, mm-hmm. but you get the whole, like, there's like, I, I, wholesome elements. I mean, more on Twin Peaks than this, but, like, than his movies. But, like, you do, they're, like, the Sailor and Lulu's love. That's yes. pure. That's pure as fucking sweet honey. Like, right. that, 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 there's nothing bad about that. Um, and so, yeah. yeah and yeah. so it cuts through the badness, but there's just not... There's not that whole like Balthazar Getty's not like a, like none of these guys are good, and it doesn't focus on anybody. That's it's good. pure, uncut right. nightmare. That's why. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. My favorite scene in the whole movie uh, is the the scene where Jack Nance gets the song. Oh my God. Turned yes. off. That's my favorite scene. I'll tell you why because it's it's. In a movie where it's just one nightmare scene after another, it shows like the real world butting up against the nightmare world mm-hmm. because you get the feeling that at that point in the movie, you could follow Jack Nance home. He would like have dinner with his family. They would ask him how work was today and he would just complain about like some like I was enjoying some music and this guy, <laughs> this kid turned yeah. it off. Right, and that yes. that that could be the story. But what happens is, is that the the guy who turned it off is because he was being like reminded of his former tr- self before he was transmorgified. Yes, right. And he was living, <laughs> and his head was gonna split. It was like it was in danger of splitting open. <laughs> right. So you have these two very real. You have two realities that are bumping up against each other, in a very yeah. like that yeah. that movie that scene could be cut, but I think it adds so much to the movie. I do too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like my favorite. I think. Well, like Robert Loge is like, you like pornos? Give you a boner? <laughs> he tries to get on the table. Yeah, he like, goes what? And then yeah. I like how he tells and them just what, the fact what, they're, that, like, what they're for. <laughs> there's yeah, that yeah. one scene. <laughs> Give you a boner. Robert Loge. And I'm just sorry. the the idea that with the Robert Loge scene when he first shows up, you're like, oh, this kid's in the CD shit. He's gonna do a job for this guy. It's like, no. He just likes him to fix his car because he's really good at it. And then, you know, the CD shit comes later when he starts fucking the guy's mall or whatever. But, mm-hmm. like, you think that because the cops are watching him because he was showed up at a jail cell for no reason and this guy just dis- disappeared. And, you know, like, and then you're like, oh, I wonder what CD shit he was involved with with the with Robert Loge's character. And it's like, he wasn't. He's just a good mechanic mm-hmm. that, like, I, 
and and then with the and then ending with the you know it's wholesome but it's also porno like it's a joke that brings levity to this like fucking nightmare I thought the scene where he's beating up the guy in the road I was like about the rules is he supposed to be like an epic oh, yeah. good guy like is that like what Robert Lowe right. is supposed to be like like I don't know that's a type that people like you, you know you think they're gonna be some badass but they're really just a wholesome person uh, uh, Robert De Niro in Brazil comes to mind uh, but like I, uh yeah, I think like, you're, I, you're supposed it, to see what happened. I think actually, I thought that that whole thing was that actually to me looked had smacked of structure to me. So what it was, uh-huh. it was like a character moment in a, to make in Robert Loja look like a bad dude. To, to no, make the, it look like you could see what yeah. happens when he's set off by like the littlest infraction. Yeah. Like mm. he's on a hair oh, trigger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like so, if you right, think that right, that's how right. he acts when you're tailgating. How do you think he's gonna act whenever act you know, your his girlfriend well. is stolen? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That, so that's, I, think, that, I think that's true too. Uh, I, I, I do a, think that. Yeah, I think probably it's, Barry Guilford type thinking is what I'm like. Probably, a professional, yeah. a professional novelist is probably yeah, thinking along those lines. This I, movie needed something, someone to like say that's a good person. It, I guess Jack Vance. Is maybe the closest thing. Uh, I'd say Busey. Busey okay. is too. Oh, how, God. how did we get? How in the world did David Lynch get an understated performance out of Gary Busey? I don't know. <laughs> right? I, it's it's how he, the only and one. And it's like when he's he fucking shit. He's squeezing those tears out in like understated manner. It's like wow, I didn't know. Like, and okay. his wife is an yeah, actress how, I've never seen before. Yeah. Yet uh-huh. seemed perfectly paired with Busey. And there were characters you don't see in movies, like you know, he's just he's a he's a good dad, but he's you know he's he's not he's got not gonna be a snitch mm-hmm. to the cops. And that he's neighborhood they live in, it may be Van Nuys, but it's my exact neighborhood. I live in that neighborhood, yeah. and so like when I talk about California guys, they all look like Gary Busey, all of them, all the white guys, like they all look like Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah. So and that was it, that's another example of characters. The the mom and the Gary Busey dad yeah. and and it's and the mom who have seen something, mm-hmm. and who have seen like the face of like the unknowable and cannot reconcile themselves with it, and it had like oh, a profound effect on them. So like, do, this... in there, were they saying they saw his head open up? Yes, and then yes. he disappeared. They the yes they saw him okay. like Back to the Future lightning in like. <laughs> In dis- oh, okay. like his head. Yes, they yeah. saw it. And then, and then it was some bloody mess or something. And it's a real quick shot. I tried to pause and go through frame by frame to figure out what that fuck mm-hmm. happened. But it, and I, it's it, like his it it something like him splitting open and disappearing. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was gross. And, but they witnessed but, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And Natalie Wood started it. I mean, his girlfriend or whatever her name is did yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, Sheila. Sheila. A real horny movie, though. Like, and so. Oh, so horny. And I the think most. that, like, the, the, the most, most horny. The most. So I do think that if the, if the movie has a flaw, it's in modulation. Like, oh, really? I, I don't, I, I don't, like, I wonder if it, it was just too, if it, like, if it's, I, I, it's not my favorite, but I don't, was, I think it's because it seems so hard. It's a, it's such a harsh movie. Yeah, I think he struggles with misogyny. 
and yeah. I, 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 I think that that's his women is I objects. think that's yeah specifically and I think, yeah right. I guess misogyny You're or, vi- or violence no no is, is his ultimate like I don't think there's objects like the way Fellini makes them where it is just all about the man's sexual explorations and that the women are secondary I think I think maybe that's the dream. Like, if you're like, what is his story about? He's about his stories are about men who pursue sexual pleasures for adventure, but realize that like there's there's so, that it that it that it's human relationships then that ties it up, and and Except so this that movie. yeah, I don't know how that is that, that, that happening. But that's but movie. I think that he kills her. Because, I mean, yes, but I I do think that. Bill Pullman kills uh, Patricia Arquette one because because he fails to view her as a person, and so he can't understand her, and that that's yeah. that's where that comes from. And there is something like, and he doesn't ever. I mean, he addresses it fucking hugely visually in the in the house. At the end, or in the L.A. house, at the in, what it, you know, with the big when they break in, but uh, like the, not measuring up to their sexual experiences. Tell me about that guy. What did that guy? Oh, I met him and he had a job for me. What kind of job? That was a conversation that right, that right. Bill Pullman had with, with with, and that it's the same story with the other one. So right. it's it is that these women are having these sexually adventurous lives and these are these lame like, and I, and that there's an, and I, I David Lynch can't feel that, you know, right. <laughs> any it's man that slept with Isabella kind of... Rossellini can't feel that sexually inadequate, <laughs> right. but I do think that well, it's something maybe in she him. patted him on the back. <laughs> maybe she patted yeah, him on the she, back. Yeah. Maybe she's like, it's True. okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> We can go eat our big beef and cheddar. Uh, like, I, I think this movie is about not being able to see her as a woman, which I think is what, like, your point with how good she modulates it to the end when, like, you can't ever possess me. Because she's not real. <laughs> you know, that his vision right. of her is yeah, not yeah. real. Well, it'll be interesting when we get to, like, Mulholland Drive. Yes. And Inland Empire, where, like... Oh, uh, yeah, like, it's... It's not about, it's not about the weird... Uh, psychological landscape of any man's mind really it's about it's women's are the leads yeah know? i mean women are i mean like it is very like mahalan drove is all about women but and yes and exactly, justin thrift yeah. for the ladies there but uh sure and inland empires you know the same justin Thoreau, he's got Doing bill pullman was the only one that was the I know what he. Second no, choice. well, he says it wasn't, but oh, Will, he clearly he, looks like yeah. he clearly looks like Bobo Kyle McLaughlin. But, but here's Kyle the deal: McLaughlin, so yeah. does so does Justin Thoreau in the next two movies, or oh. no, it's after the Straight Story. But um, like, I think that he's like he like Alan uh, Woody Allen has self insert characters, and it's usually oh, yeah. he's happiest when it's Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> Bill Pullman's good in this. Like, I don't he's think he's very, ever. Off. He is. Yeah, he's, very he's good. really, really good at this. And it's a, it's he's never yeah. played this note ever again. I actually thought no. uh, that if Bathos, I think Bathosar Getty is exactly what where he needs to be. I think the the befuddled 
the befuddled <laughs> yeah. look, the constant look of uh, like just trying to get your bearings or whatever. That's exactly what the character needed to be. <laughs> and you know what? The Bill Pullman's a perfect casting in a sense. Like now that we talked about them, it's something I noticed in the sex scenes. Bill Pullman is never not soft in any movie. He's never got the L.A. kind of cut guns mm-hmm. or anything. He's got a softness to him. Even, and you know, if this movie is all about sexual frustration and being unable to please a woman. And this is almost as sleek as Bill Pullman's really ever, maybe in the 80s. Yeah, no, uh, he's, you know, some vampire movies. even if it's not about his body right. size, he's never, he's not ever a sleek man. But they do, they they make him sleek. I know, here. this yeah. is as close as it gets and he's not He's always wearing a turtle, either. like he just looks sleek. Like, I, I, I love this movie. I think it's a perfect movie. I don't. It's not. It's not an experience that I want to have again. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too harsh. It's too. It's too. Like, but it was clearly t- built to be that way. Yes. 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 Yeah, I don't exactly. think he failed. I think he made the movie he wanted to make. Can I give you some numbers here? You can give me some numbers. Please. Well, do. it had a. It, according to IMDb, it had a fifteen million dollar budget. Yeah. That's pretty cheap. Opening weekend gross, $212,000. Yes. Huge bomb. Gross yeah. USA gross, six, uh, $3.6 million. $3.6 million. Cumulative hmm. worldwide gross, $3.7 million. Hmm. Ouch. So, and that's usually where he makes his money is in those international numbers. It's, yes, yes, exactly. So it is mm-hmm. definitely um, PlayStation commercials for a while. It's yeah, right. yeah. So this is why he had to make a straight story after this, huh? I was like, no, I'm not just doing. I can make a straight. You know, he had to, he had something to prove <sighs> in the straight story. To I think we're gonna have. We'll do, he, we're definitely gonna do some research about that. I think you're right. I think I think. I don't think You're, he had because he had Final Cut on Straight Story, and I don't think oh, yeah, that he, he tells, and I don't think that he tells the true story. But Richard Farnsworth made him write a to sign a paper that there wouldn't be any nudity and no swears. And like I think that was the last actor they could have got. Like they they asked several actors to be that role, and they didn't end up doing it. And Richard Farnsworth, who was I think literally dying while they filmed it. It's a right. recurring motif with Lynch later, that sort of hamstring and what it, what kind of thing it would be, but I don't think it was a big movie. I I don't I do think he was put in jail, like you know, f- filmmaking jail. Yeah, I don't think he would made a straight story to recoup his losses. I think he just had people like, what the fuck is this weird ass movie? I, no, I can make a straight. What movie. year did this come out? Yeah, it was about him like looking, showing like, look, I'm a master craftsman. I can do regular movies if I wanted to. I just don't. I want to make weird shit like Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive. Yeah, fuck y'all, people that think I can't do anything else. I'll make a straight story. <laughs> All right, are we done right. for this week? Uh, we got we, are. we lost highway pretty well. We lost highway, and now we're going to get on the found highway with a lawnmower. Yeah, just a straight, straight, straight shot. Don't story. no way to get lost. It's a straight story. It's a straight story. All right, All right. three to lunch out. This magic moment So diff 
different and so new was like any other until I met you and then it happened it took me by surprise I knew that you felt it too I could see it by the look in your eyes sweeter than wine softer than a summer's night everything I wanna have whenever I hold you tight this magic moment while your lips are close to mine will last forever apparently wanted to build his comeback or career in Hollywood not on big but on a movie called Blue Velvet and he yes. wanted and he went he did not know that Dennis Hopper was cast he just knows that he wasn't cast right so he was going to go down and threaten David Lynch <laughs> and like I guess prove to him that he could be Frank Booth and um and so he goes I, I remember him just threatening me <laughs> <laughs> on set but like dennis hopper was on set and it was like it was all very weird and then i just and like so 10 years later you get to make it up to robert loge uh that's pretty cool <laughs> this, is, this is gonna be your big mm-hmm. movie here and a three million a really great actor writers. really great actor also not with us all these guys man yeah yeah mm. yep even david bowie all right who had three who was a major character in Twin Peaks season three before he died, and and they oh, had to completely right. rewrite 
whole chunks of the show. Hmm. Um, David Lynch is not. Yeah, that's a uh, that's sort of where he is now. It's like where he's like a man. Like I I think of him when uh, like he's a writer. Like I don't know. Mortality is an issue. <laughs> like I think more than in other directors with him. Yeah. I don't know. I feel it with that. He makes me feel the fear of mortality and stuff like that more than other people. Hmm. Oh, well, okay. that right on on the he head, deals. Yeah. With, well, I mean, he deals with like primordial feelings. Yeah, right. right. And in a way that I I could see that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I've ever. I'm getting older, and so I don't think that I've ever like. I've just not been the kind of person who like fears dying. Right. But like. I, it is like I do feel it's like you know it's like uh, I do feel like the the fear of death is like an appointment that is is getting closer, <laughs> like you know like I there's a like yeah I have about ten years to where this is this reaches a fever pit not like I'm not like I have a reason to fear dying but just I'm human and I have a consciousness and I don't want it to end and sure. so I start you know getting really paranoid I feel like I'm about five or ten years away when I used to not feel like that at all. Oh, I, I feel like that all the time. Yeah, see, I don't. There's, and there's nothing I, like kids to make that feeling worse. Yeah, yeah kids exactly. definitely. Kids and I think that I yeah. worried about it as like, that would be a bad thing. But now I like, like I'm thinking about it and more like, what would it like going to the, you know, like the, like the, the mechanics of watching. You're talking about the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, like that part's got to be weird. And so I think that like, I don't know. Like, I think that, like, he doesn't show that kind of stuff, but I think that David Lynch thinks about that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's a mirror, too. <laughs> he mostly thinks about sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I got Which, believe me, I still think about, but I'm an old man, <laughs> yeah, so well, it's less, bit, and yeah. death is coming up. <laughs> Where David Lynch is 10 years older than me, and uh, he, he seems to be right. just as, as much into it. <laughs>